For those of us who have been on the manager side for a while, we know that investors love to analyze decades of performance data before deciding which manager they're going to invest with. And that makes a lot of sense. But we also come across investors who subsequently redeem based on just a year or two's worth of data after they invested, which is usually just down to bad luck or unfortunate timing. Of course, this mismatch in the length of data it takes to get in as opposed to get out of their investment does not seem logical. But it kind of ties into the short conversation I want to share with you today where I discuss the role and the importance of track records and backtests with Scott Billington. We also ended up discussing a very interesting twist to their research, which led them to abandon taking any short trades in their model. So sit back and relax and enjoy this unique short clip from a past episode with Scott. And if you would like to listen to the full conversation, just go to toptradersonplug forward slash 25 and also forward slash 26. Now, track record, we've touched a little bit upon the track record, but what I'd love to do is to ask you how one should read your track record because we all know that strategies evolve over time and therefore in a sense one could say that actually a track record sure it shows that you've survived it shows that you have had some uh, innovation but I think sometimes people get uh, maybe a little bit um, fooled to believe that a track record is a great indication of what the future is going to look like because they don't really know what changes have happened along the way in the model. So in some ways, one could say that maybe it's better to look at a backtest of the current model when you look at a manager. Maybe that would say more about, you know, the future. I don't know. But I'd love to yeah. hear about what your view and what your uh, observation is about your own track record, because you mentioned uh, the short side of things. And I know there was a period where I think you didn't take any short trades uh, at all. Um, so I'd like to have, I mean, I'd, like to, I'd love to hear your your philosophical view about short trades, because I don't think many people realize that there is a big difference between the long side and the short side in terms of success and profitability. Um, but um, also generally maybe putting that into context about your own uh, your own uh, track record and, and, and why you made the changes along the way. Well, I think you make an excellent point about track records. I think people look at them as some kind of like a one-loss record in a sporting event. And they they miss the enormous amounts of variance and randomness that happened to have lined up and occurred to produce whatever monthly return is shown or sure. daily return. Sure. Um, I think that most groups don't do enough qualitative analysis of the trading method. Right. And simply crunch performance numbers as though they're the end all be all yeah. of what the future is going to be. Yeah. Uh, you make an interesting point. I would probably argue that a back test of the current running model is probably the best, except that it is also going to go on, you know, if you're hoping to be a five or 10 year investor, mm. there are going to be future changes. Sure. And so what I might say is, is as we've progressed, our changes have been successful and therefore 
perhaps one would conclude that our future changes would also be successful. Sure. But, you know, that's a different discussion. <laughs> um, our first major change to the model was in early 2002 was basically eliminating short trades and using a volatility filter for long trades. Was the short trades the cause of your drawdown back back in the beginning? No. All right. No. So why did you make a change to uh, eliminate short trades back in 2002? Well, short trades, and this is particularly appropriate on our time frame. Mm. On a shorter time frame, I don't think this, this would not hold as much. Okay. But let's imagine on our time frame, we're trying to hold a good winner for, let's say, over a year. Right. Okay. And a short trade is bounded. <laughs> it's certainly bounded by zero. Yeah. And in reality, in a lot of these things, it's bounded by something north of zero. Sure. Right? But I'll give you even to zero. That's fine. It, 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 the point is still the same. Yeah. So a short trade is going to be, it's going to face several hurdles. The first is if you took every sell signal of silver at $9 and I took every buy signal of silver at $9, I'm going to, and, and I'm looking for, you know, our trading system is trend following. It's built around large deviation winners and outlying, you know, large moves. All of your trades are going to be limited to making $9. Yeah. And mine aren't. Yeah. Furthermore, let's imagine we, we had two good trades. You sold yours at nine and it, move $5 down to four and I bought mine at nine. It moved $5 and it's at 14. Mm. Now, how are we sitting? Cause you're in terrible position. Sure. You see what I mean? I mean, yeah. you have virtually nothing that can be made. Yeah. Probably a lot of risk in the position in that you've had a large and rapid move mm. and you're seeing an intra trade decompounding effect. Because now a 10% move for you is only sure. 40 cents. Yeah. Well, I've had the exact opposite happen. Mm. I'm getting a compounding effect, meaning I got to enter in a volatility and even a, even a percentage move where at nine, and now I'm into 14. Right. And every dollar I go up, you know, a 10% move for me now is $1.40. Sure. So if you imagine that, that okay, these rare moves, however we want to define them, come along equally as infrequently. Mm. Meaning you and I both have the same chance of one of these rare moves occurring. And in your rare move, let's just for this trade example, you had to risk 50 cents in silver to make, I mean, what could you make? Six dollars? Mm. So you could have a 12 to 1 winner at best, mm. right? And that that's riding 9 down to 3. And not only does the market get to 3, but your exit's got to get to 3. Sure. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then, Grant, you could catch some rolls in there. I get all, but let's, let, we, I think we could both agree that'd be a huge winner short. Yeah. My buy of $9, well, silver's gone to 50 twice, <laughs> right? Yeah. So for the same 50 cent risk and equally as likely an outcome, I'm going to make, let's say I got out at 45, 68 times my initial risk. Mm. Well, start doing the math. Yep. 
You make 12 times. I make 68 times. You are going to have to be, it's going to have to happen six times as often mm. for you, mm. for you to, to, to tie me. Yeah. Does that seem likely? Now, that doesn't mean in a three-year period, I mean, in 2008, you're going to murder me. Right. Right? Then, that, then this is where people, in a three-year period, shorts could, could do way better. Mm. And honestly, in a 10-year period, they could do a little better. Mm. I mean, that gets a little less likely because a lot of these markets are reciprocals of each other. Mm. Long dollar is short, euro and sweat, you know, but, but there could be a, very, a long term in, in time in which there was a large decline in overall prices in which shorts might, you know, they could do better. Absolutely. Mm. And much better. Shorts might make 30% a year while longs lost five. Sure. But, and this gets back into the qualitative and quantitative of it. Mm. Qualitatively, I don't think my point is, can, there's no point against me. Mm. Like logically, if we sat in a courtroom and argued it, I'm killing you on that argument. Sure. You see what I mean? And I think we both know if we both took 10,000 trades and you took all shorts and I took all longs and what I've just described, you can't beat me. Sure. It's, it's, you're, you're, you're just done for. Yeah. But that doesn't mean in a five-year period that your track record might not be better than mine. No, of course. That's right. You see what I mean? And, and, and that's a difficulty. But that's, that's a, a good insight in, into how we try to look at research and how we try to look at trading and trading from a strategic standpoint or even a philosophical standpoint, and I'd say strategic, and, and how we might attack a research problem. So what we really, what we really evolved into is, is that shorts and longs need to be tr treated differently. Right. Initially, when I buy at nine and you sell at nine, those trades are very similar, mm. right? For the first dollar or two move, sure. they're very similar. It's only as they progress that yours gets worse and worse and worse, while mine conversely is getting better and better and better. Mm. So now I've got I need to I need to appropriately weight the fact that my long trades are, are ultimately going to be a lot better. But I can also maybe make some adjustments to how I handle a trade intra-trade to mirror the way a trade evolves. That makes sense? Sure. And so as the years have passed, what we've attempted to do is just get better at how we trade short because there are, you know, shorts actually have over time proven to be the best diversifier versus longs. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, they're a part of the portfolio and have been for years, but, but I like to think, obviously we wouldn't <laughs> have made the changes if we didn't think they were better that we've gotten better at understanding how short trades work and, and why they're worse than longs and how that evolves. And, and then that we've then created tactics to, to kind of minimize the weakness of short trades. Yeah. And so we are not big into trying to predict where the market's going to go. We don't think we can. Right. We're not big into, oh, you know, the this, you know, we're going to use this 
we don't think we have any magic pixie dust that tells me when a trend's going to start. <laughs> but I do know this. If I get a signal long and, and you some other time had the same signal at the same risk short, I know that mine is better. Mm. That I know for a fact. And you see what I mean? Sure. I'm not trying to guess, oh, well, you know, Hillary Clinton's going to get elected and that's going to do this and that. And, and people can do that and maybe they can do it effectively. I don't know. But I can tell you for sure my long signal's better. Mm. Now, what I would argue is you're going to have to get awfully good at predicting future worldwide elections and results and all that to overcome that my long signals are way better because mm. they're unbounded and they're going to compound within the trade. Sure. You see what I mean? Yep. So what we think we've gotten better at along the way is I've got a basic trend following model and it generates signals. Right. Which of those signals are worth taking risk on and which ones aren't? Right. Without trying to predict if a trend will ensue and how far or how large a trend might ensue. Mm. That makes sense? Sure. Like I mentioned, uh, a volatility filter. Mm. If, again, I'll use silver. Let's imagine I get a long signal in silver at $9, but the recent volatility has been very high. And so through whatever metrics we use, I'd have to risk 90 cents. Mm. And then there's some other point in time, you get the same signal at $9, but recent volatility has been low and you're only going to have to risk 45 cents. Mm. Okay. So the first thing we know is if we're risking the same amount of money on each trade, if I do five contracts, you're going to get to do 10. Sure. Well, let's imagine the same trend comes along. You're going to make twice as much money. Yeah. Right? And we knew that at the inset. We knew that for a fact. Sure. I'm going to need twice as large a trend to come to make the same amount of money as you. And by definition, a trend that's twice as large as, you know, if trend A is twice as large as trend B, trend A has to be more rare. Yeah. Right? So those are the kind of improvements we like to think that we've made on our model. Mm. As well as, you know, diversify, you know, there's, there's some advantage to diversifying entry points, diversifying exit points. And it isn't that one is better than another. Sometimes one's going to be better. Sometimes the other's going to be better. The main thing is that, is that, you know, you want to, or we try to achieve a, a robust or even a smoothing effect to that. We talk about time frame as maybe being something that has influenced returns in the last few years. And, and we talk about, you know, whether short term traders have done better than longer term. And, and in some instances, we've certainly seen the example of longer term traders done better than short term. But actually, I want to throw in one more thing in this uh, discussion, and that is sector allocation. Because in my mind, actually, I think one could argue that sector allocation, either by design or by default, have made a huge impact in recent years. And you could say that because large managers by default have had to be more focused on bonds and equities, they perhaps have made money more by luck than by skill. Or is that too harsh? Well, 
they're outperformance in a, in a short time frame, any outperformance in a short time frame is a hundred percent luck. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if you were comparing us to a $10 billion manager that in a three-year period, even a five-year period, mm. it's pretty much going to be how did bonds and currencies trend versus commodities? Mm. That's going to be the whole deciding factor in three years. And then again, this is why now in 10 years, the idea would be is that those things will have started to cancel each other out. Mm cotton and coffee did awesome this year and then the euro currency did awesome this next year and then those start to cancel out and then the the real strategical differences between the two start to show up hmm. right but i mean if you look at it scientifically the fact is is that the if i have a certain trading edge the more times i can apply that edge the better yeah and so on a future expected basis, trading more markets is without question more desirable than trading fewer. Mm. Although, just as you said, in, and, and that's again why the investment horizon of an allocator can be, and, and how they look at things can be so misleading. If I only traded stock indexes, I would have crushed it the last couple years. Sure. But that would be a foolish way to trade. Yeah. Because then I'm saying, oh, well, stock indexes adhere to this anomaly I think I have, not other markets. Mm. Or if other markets do adhere to it, but I don't trade them, well, well why wouldn't I want to get – that would be like the Bellagio closing down all its blackjack tables except for the one that had done the best in the last hour. Sure. Right? I mean that, that that's foolhardy. Yeah. So trading more markets is a huge advantage. Mm. Assuming that they're diversified enough that they're, you know, but trading more markets is an advantage. Having, and it's only advantage in that I get more instances in a time frame. Mm. Now, in a given year, you may, or three years or five years, yes, some sector, I mean, let's talk, if we're talking trend following or what, you know, whatever it is, some sector is going to, is by definition, something has to have done the best. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, and this gets back to my earlier point, when you then go sort the managers by, by their three-year track record, who's going to be at the top? Sure. Whoever happens to specialize in that sector. Mm. Or does that mean they're more likely to make money in the future? Nope. Well, I mean, maybe, but if, I mean, if that's going to be, if that is where you want to make your stand, then have at it. Mm. It's pretty questionable. But it's interesting. I mean, I find it fascinating the way you talk about time frame and you talk about these long-term time frames. And um, yeah, I, 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 I can imagine it's not easy to get investors to, to share that horizon, so to speak, because... If you want to take not easy out and replace it with impossible, yeah. then you'd be correct. Yeah. But that's the business that... I've chosen. Sure. I, I mean, I know full and well that the next time we get hot mm. for 24 months yeah. will attract a lot of money. Mm. That's a fact. Yeah. And the next will keep attracting money as long as we quote unquote stay hot. Mm. And then the next time we have a, you know, a drawdown 
which will come, that's guaranteed, mm. and it'll last for X amount of period, we'll lose a mm. third of the money that we had. Yeah. That's just the fact of the matter. I mean, we attempt, we try, we talk about these things with our clients, but, but it is probable that the homo sapien is not particularly hardwired very well for trading. And there you have it. And remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation with Scott, please go to toptradersunplugged.com forward slash 25 and forward slash 26. Now, if you enjoyed this short clip from a past episode of the show, then you will love the free book I'm giving away right now. It's called The Many Flavors of Trend Following, and it includes some of my best insights on this perhaps the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. And you can get your free copy right now at toptradersunplugged.com forward slash book to start your own journey today. Now, if you feel like spending $7 to support the show, then I have another book that I co-wrote with Catherine Kaminsky. It's called How to Master Manage Futures, Even If You Have Never Traded Before. And you can find this book on my website. Just head over to toptradersonplug.com and click on the image of the book. And of course, make sure to subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes including the new weekly raw exploration of trend following that I do with Jerry Parker and Moritz Siebert and where you're also able to ask your questions directly to us. Until next time, be great and take care.